If you're new or just joining us, we are in the... And forgive me if I'm a little more fired up than usual today. I, you know, it's just the way it is when you get me dancing. So if you're just joining us or new, we are in week 20 of a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' very profound section of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. And going through it so deliberately has caused us to look at some things we might otherwise not pay attention to, and today might be one of those times. So if you'll turn back open to Matthew 6, it's where we are. We have been in a a section where Jesus has addressed some spiritual disciplines and our heart's motivation behind them. So, so far we've looked at giving, and we've looked at prayer, and today we come to a part where we look at fasting. So Jesus says this, In chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus here says the same things about fasting that he said about giving and that he said about prayer. He says, when you fast, so he assumes his listeners are doing it. He says, when you fast, don't do it like hypocrites. Don't do it to show off or for appearances, but do it to seek your Father in heaven. And don't don't seek the approval of other people. The key to this whole section is back in verse 1 where Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. So he's addressing our motives and we've seen that it's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons in our Christian life. But when it comes to fasting, from what I know of myself and what I know of this church and of the contemporary church in the West as a whole, it's less likely that we're doing a lot of fasting for the wrong reasons as we're not doing any fasting for any reason. Now, why is that? It's not because fasting is any less biblical than giving or prayer. There's dozens upon dozens of references to fasting in the Bible. But many people who believe in the Bible and who follow Jesus, who fasted, rarely, if ever, do it. So why? I think there are maybe some profound historical, sociological reasons for why that might be, but I think it also may be just as simple as this. We really don't want to. We just don't want to, and fasting is hard and uncomfortable. Who wants to be hungry when you don't have to? By now, I've had several experiences where God has met me in profound and powerful ways through fasting, and still, every time I think about fasting the next time, large part of me just doesn't want to. God has proven to me that it's a great discipline, but I know it will involve discomfort, and that alone is enough to make me reluctant. Because I'm still very much a product of my culture. Richard Foster says, the constant propaganda fed us today convinces us that if we do not have three meals each day with snacks in between, we're on the verge of starvation. (laughs) This coupled with the popular belief that it is a positive virtue to satisfy every human appetite, has made fasting seem fairly obsolete. 
Fasting is just so not how we roll in 21st century America, where it's a virtue to satisfy all of our appetites. But Jesus here is talking about kingdom virtues. And at The Journey, we've done whole sermon series on generosity and whole sermon series on prayer, but we've yet to talk about fasting. And so today will be kind of a, an introductory overview rather than a caution to people who, who fast all the time. One sermon can't cover all of what the Bible says about fasting, but hope it'll be a good start. So again, dozens and dozens of references to fasting in the Bible. Before we look at specifics, I want to make a few general comments about fasting in the Bible, which should be up here. So first, fasting in the Bible is not a requirement. I want you to hear that. There is, there is no place in Scripture that explicitly commands us all to fast in a certain way. We don't need to, be fa- to fast in order to be right with God. Jesus makes us right with God. Fasting doesn't make us a better or worse Christian. We live in the approval of God, and out of that, we are free to fast or not fast. By contrast, if you're a Muslim, you know exactly what is expected of you. Fasting is one of the five pillars of Islam, and every able-bodied Muslim knows they're to fast every day from dusk to dawn, or dawn to dusk, during the month of Ramadan. It's very clear, but Scripture the Bible has no such explicit expectation or requirement. In the absence of a very clear expectation or requirement, many of us are happy to just not fast and not think about it. We're free. But like in many things in life, just because you don't have to do something doesn't mean it's not a good idea. Second, fasting in the Bible is both individual and corporate. There are examples of individual people who fast just between them and God, and there are also examples of whole communities, whole groups, whole nations, in fact, who fast together as a collective thing. There's a biblical basis for both. Third, fasting in the Bible involves both abstaining from something, food, and it is accompanied by prayer. So in the Bible, fasting always refers to food. Now, there are also other things we can go without for a period in our lives, whether certain technologies or Facebook or shopping, and those can be very beneficial and, in fact, have the same spirit and the same benefits as fasting from food. And for some of you who have legit medical and health reasons you can't fast from food, these can be excellent practices. And is it okay to call those things fasting? I don't think it really matters. Honestly, there was a period where Liz and I went without TV for a while in order to pay more attention to God. And whether you call something like that a TV fast or you call it something else like unplugging, I don't think nitpicking over the terminology is really the important thing here. But just to say, when the Bible says fasting, it's referring to food. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, fasting from food. But it's not just going without food. There are a lot of reasons people go without food or miss meals, whether it's busyness or dieting or poverty. But none of those things are actually fasting in a biblical sense. Fasting in the Bible is the abstaining from one thing, but also accompanied by a deliberate seeking of God in prayer and worship or Bible study. So when you do fast, when you fast, if you, if you fast for 24 hours, for example, it's not like you take the whole 24 hours and pray unceasingly the whole time necessarily, but somewhere during that 24 hours, you do set apart some deliberate time to intentionally pray 
or worship or study scripture. And then often throughout the period, our hunger is a constant reminder to us of God's presence, of our dependence on God. It increases our awareness of God throughout just going through our normal activities. But it's all, it's the abstaining from one thing accompanied by prayer and seeking God. Now, having said that prayer goes along with fasting, I want to be clear that fasting is not a sort of secret sauce to add to our prayers. As if you know, we take our prayers, our requests, and we, we add a little fasting, and, and somehow they just become irresistible to God, and he can't help but do what we want. No, we can't manipulate God that way. That's just superstition, not fasting. It, it's saying, oh, maybe if I just show that I'm really sincere and really pious, God will give me what I want. No, that's superstition. And God will not be played like that. Often, though, fasting is accompanied by God moving and acting in powerful ways. But it's not because we've successfully manipulated him. Fasting, instead, is often a way where God shapes and changes us. I hope to show as we go that there are some of the most significant barriers to genuine spiritual growth and renewal in our lives and in our culture can be broken down by fasting. But these barriers are not problems with God. There are problems with us. So those are some general comments on biblical fasting. Now I want to race through a few specific examples. And I want to call it five right reasons to fast. So in this series, Jesus has been addressing our inner motivations for spiritual disciplines. And it is possible to be motivated to fast for wrong reasons, but I think our bigger concern for us is a lack of positive motivation to fast. Like why, why would we do it? Why should we do it? So we'll look at five good reasons and a biblical picture that goes along with each one. So I'll be racing around the Bible, and so for time's sake, uh, I have all the, I'll give you the gist of each passage. We'll have key scriptures on the screen, and I would encourage you to actually write down the scripture references and go back and read them on your own time later this week in order to go deeper. So five right reasons to fast. One is humility. Humility, fasting is an act of humbling ourselves before God. A biblical picture of this is King Jehoshaphat of Judah in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was a powerful, mighty king with great resources, a great army, lots of military victories under his belt. But in chapter 20, a number of surrounding nations and surrounding armies kind of zero in on Judah, they're going to attack, and, and they are outmatched, seriously outmatched. And the people come to Jehoshaphat in a panic. What are we going to do? There's a vast army coming against you. And Jehoshaphat says this in verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. So even this mighty king, he humbles himself before God and he leads others to do the same. He resolves to inquire of the Lord and not depend on his own strength and his own resources. Acknowledges that only God can save him now. And often when our backs are to the wall, we're in a tough situation or or a loved one is stuck in some rut and we keep trying to change it, but nothing seems to happen. Our tendency is often to just keep trying, to keep doing what we know how to do and what we understand. But when we fast and pray, we acknowledge that only God can help us. We say, God, I can't 
figure this out. I can't solve this. I can't change this person's heart. I can't break this destructive pattern. I can't do it, but only you can. And we don't have to wait until there's you know, a real problem to humble ourselves because honestly, the, we're always weak, always limited, and always in need of God. We just don't like to admit it. And I think a refusal to admit our dependence, our need from God, is, is one of the most significant barriers to genuine spiritual growth and renewal. And a regular habit of fasting chips away at that stubborn self-reliance that we have. And we resolve to inquire of the Lord instead. I'm really coming to believe that fasting needs to be the part of the life of everyone in Christian leadership. Because in this day and age, it is too easy to rely on our own skills, our own programs, our own techniques, and our own resources, when in fact it is only the power of God that can save people and change lives. And we need to know that. We need to cultivate that awareness. Fasting helps us do that. We humble ourselves, and that is a good thing. So it's one right reason to fast. A second is surrender. Fasting is a way of relinquishing the control that we have in our lives and surrendering control to God. A biblical picture for this is the church at Antioch in the book of Acts. And chapter 13 describes the leaders of this church. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off couple things. One, this is not a a special occasion. This is in the course of a regular habit of fasting and worshiping. Ancient documents tell us that early church communities like this had a habit of fasting twice a week. So this is in the course of their regular habit. And, And one day, as they're fasting, the Holy Spirit issues this directive. And I don't think they saw this coming. Barnabas and Saul were key leaders in this church. And so to release them and send them somewhere else was a big deal and probably not in their plans. But they have a posture already of surrender to God's will above their own. And so they let go of control and they release and send them. And it is actually this moment that leads to the gospel coming to Europe for the first time. I want to take you back to when my wife Liz and I were sophomores at BU. We were just friends then, but you're about to see why I started to like her came that time in the year when students were looking ahead to choose their housing for the next year, where they were going to live. And a number of us who were students decided to fast and pray together about where God would have us live the next year. Liz came into this day with a plan already to live with three friends in a comfy apartment, which is what most juniors do. But as she was fasting and praying, this picture began to form in her mind. And she saw herself and three other friends in a room in this dorm in a particularly undesirable part of campus where no juniors choose to live. But as she saw this picture, she began to feel this incredible joy, a surprising joy, like, I think this might be from God. This was not my idea. And she went and shared it with her friends and kind of confirmed. And long story short, Liz and her three friends moved into this undesirable dorm where no juniors go. And for the next two years, they led Bible studies that touched dozens and dozens of people in that part of campus. 
And in fact, one year, her next door neighbor in that dorm actually became a Christian through their friendship with these girls and is now uh, serving and leading in house churches in China. Well, Liz surrendered her own plans, had a posture of surrender. Now, the rest of us, there were a number of us who fasted and prayed that day. We didn't see any visions or get a clear directive from God, and that, that stuff's not really the point. But we did all grow in our, our releasing of control over our own housing situation. It wasn't just about us and where we would be most comfortable, but we all came away with a, a sense of purpose and mission and resolve to be part of what God was doing wherever we decided to live on campus. So fasting is an act of surrender as well. And, and one of the major barriers to spiritual renewal and growth is our desire for control in our lives rather than giving control to God. We live in a culture that tells us, like Burger King, have it your way. Fasting is an intentional act of not having it our way, but instead saying to God, have it your way. And I want you and what you want even more than I want my next meal. A third good reason to fast is mourning. I realize this won't make fasting sound any more fun. But remember earlier, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The biblical picture here is Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah was a Jewish man living far away from Israel, and one day he asked how things were going for his people back home. And the news is terrible. He hears his people are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of the city are broken down. It's been destroyed by fire. And this is how Nehemiah responds. Let's actually read this together. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah mourns when he hears his people are suffering. But if you read the rest of his prayer in chapter 1, you'll see it quickly moves to mourning over the, the sin of his own people and then eventually his own sin and that of his own family. And he asks for God's mercy. I remember fasting in the aftermath of 9-11. I didn't even really know why. It just seemed like something people in the Bible might do. And at first, I was just mourning, just mourning the acts of terror and evil and hatred, mourning the loss of so many lives and mourning for their families, mourning for my people and my land. But the longer I fasted, I, I eventually began compelled to, to start mourning just the spiritual condition of our country and mourning the callousness in my own heart towards God and towards other people. And I just started to pray, God, humble me, humble us, bring renewal, draw us to yourself, have mercy on us as a people, have mercy on our land. Now, we don't, anyone can be humbled by a tragedy, but I think God's people don't need to wait for one in order to mourn over the condition of our lives and of our land. There's plenty on a daily basis in our lives and in our land that grieves the heart of God. But our hearts are often numb to that because we fill our lives with superficial comforts and entertainments and pleasures. And I think the callousness of our hearts is another real barrier to spiritual growth and renewal. And when we fast, we refuse one of our most basic comforts. 
And we allow ourselves to feel something of the heart of God, the heart of Jesus who wept over the city of Jerusalem and who I think if we looked at our own city with him and allowed us to feel some of what he feels over some of what he sees in our city, we would weep too. And Jesus calls that kind of mourning blessed. So that's a third right reason to fast. A fourth is generosity. We fast so that we have more to share with others. A biblical picture of this is from Isaiah 58, a really powerful chapter of scripture. You should read the whole thing. But God is speaking here to a people who fasted regularly and felt really pretty good about themselves for it. But meanwhile, their land was full of injustice and oppression of the poor. And God says this. Let's read this together. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the wanderer with shelter, to clothe the naked, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Some of the biggest barriers to spiritual growth and renewal are our own just affluence and materialism and consumerism. Jesus warns repeatedly the dangers of the pursuit of riches to choke out our spiritual growth. And we're trained from a young age in this culture to see ourselves as consumers. Rich or poor, we're defined by what we consume, and we're really good at consuming. We live in a culture where we expect not only our basic needs to be met, but we expect many of our desires to be met, too, far beyond our basic needs. Elizabeth Elliot said fasting is a way to begin to see how vastly indulgent we usually are. How vastly indulgent we usually are. When we fast, we make a choice to not consume. In doing so, we're freed and liberated from our own consumerism and materialism, and we begin to feel hunger. It makes it harder for us to ignore the fact that there are billions in our world who experience hunger for all the wrong reasons. And when we fast, it frees up resources to do something about it. Tim Gordon told me about a time he once took a month to live only on what he could eat for a dollar a day. That kind of fasting will make you hungry. It's a kind of fasting that doesn't allow you to ignore the cries of the poor in our world. It's the kind of fasting that is a choice to not consume all that you can so that someone else can consume something. Our youth group earlier this year participated in a 30-hour famine, going 30 hours without food in solidarity with the world's poor and raised money to do something about it, to put towards it. A lot of times we feel like we just don't have any more that we can give. But fasting can free up surprising resources. You know, if, a, if an average household just skipped one meal a week, it'd be plenty of money to support uh, a sponsored child, like we just heard about. Suddenly the resources are there. And, and for that matter, a lot of times we don't feel like we have enough time to pray. But again, fasting can free that up too, if you spend that meal time praying. But generosity is a great reason to fast. We, we take on hunger voluntarily so that others don't have to go hungry involuntarily. And finally, kind of ties it all together, reason number five to fast is just a genuine desire for God. 
A hunger for God is a mark of kingdom people. For a biblical picture, let's go to Luke chapter five. Some people have come to Jesus because they notice his disciples are not fasting. And they say, hey, we're fasting, and the, the Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus does not say, oh, it's because fasting's obsolete. We don't do that anymore. What he does say is this. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So a wedding is really not an appropriate time to fast. And here, when Jesus was with his disciples, it wasn't appropriate for them to fast. But now it is appropriate. We still live in those days. Those days where we are still waiting for Jesus, our King, to come again. And when he came the first time, the kingdom of God broke into this world in a profound way. It hasn't been the same since, but still the fact remains that we are waiting for him to come again, to set all things right, to take away all sin, all injustice, and all pain. And that day has not come yet. And so kingdom people are people who hunger for God, who hunger for our king and desire for Jesus to come again, who desire for the barriers between us and him and others in him to be eradicated who desire to dwell with him. One day he will come. He will dwell with us. We will never fast again. But that day hasn't come yet. And fasting is an expression of our desire for God, a desire to hear him above all things, for intimacy with him in a broken world, and desire for his kingdom to come. We say, God, I want you. I want your rule. I want your goodness. I want your leadership. I want your way even more than I want this next meal. So I want to close with just a few uh, fasting, frequently asked questions. All this said, I hope is motivational, but then when it comes to fasting, how, how do we do it? What, are, what does it look like? So a few frequently asked questions. One, how long should I fast? Uh, the answer is, doesn't really matter. Um, just Just try. A typical traditional fast is maybe 24 hours from dinner one night to dinner the next night. Uh, But there's no requirement. Fasting could be a single meal, or it could be a longer stretch of time. Some people have fasted several days, a week or more. Um, I can't help you there. I've not done that. But um, anyway, you've got to run a mile before you can run a marathon. So if fasting is new to you, just, just start somewhere. It doesn't really matter how long. Or you can go a longer period of time and give up certain foods, certain delicacies, and see where that takes you. But anything done in faith and with a sincere desire to draw near to God, he honors that. And he sees that. What should or shouldn't I consume during a fast then? Traditionally, during a fast, you consume only water. But again, this is not legalism. Sometimes when you start off, it can be good to have juice, too, for some extra nutrients. Uh, I've made allowances for myself for caffeine at times, just so I can be useful to other people, um, even though it does make you hungrier. And I do want to say this for sure. If you have ever struggled with an eating disorder in any way, you really need to consult a doctor before you take on any kind of fasting. And if you have real medical or health issues that have to do with digestion, you really need to consult Uh, professional opinion about fasting. The purpose of fasting is not to make us ill or or destroy our health. 
And yeah, it's not to, not to kill us. But most of us can fast more than we think we can. Most of us can fast more than we think we can. Third frequently asked question, what if I can't finish my fast? There, or, yeah, there, what if I break my fast early? Well, again, fasting is not a thing you use to please God. I think God has grace if we break a fast early. My body responds different times. Sometimes I feel supernaturally carried along and empowered by God, and sometimes I feel completely useless. So lightheaded, such a splitting headache that I really can't function, and, I, and I've made an allowance to eat something. If you have to break your fast early, just, just be honest. It's really a chance to let it be a further humbling experience to say to God, well, God, I said I was going to do this, but clearly I don't have what it takes right now. And God is never surprised by that. And he actually knows your weaknesses before you do. And he will receive that if you come to him humbly. But I do want to say that just experiencing discomfort is not a reason to break your fast early. It always involves some kind of discomfort. Our stomach will tell us, I need food now. But it's lying. It's just that you've conditioned it to think that way. Martin Luther, I've heard, used to talk to his stomach. He had a nickname for it. He, he called it Brother Ass, as in donkey, just to be clear. <laughs> just a donkey, you know, in, in a master-donkey relationship. Who's the one in charge here? Don't take orders from you. We're not made to just act on every physical impulse or desire that we have in this body. And fasting is a great way to train us for some self-control and discipline that can carry over into other areas as well. Finally, is it okay to talk about fasting? We get so hung up on this, this secrecy thing in our passage today uh, we shouldn't talk about it, but we remember Jesus said the same things about giving and about prayer. We talk about those things all the time. There's a particular type of talking about it that Jesus warns against. When we fast, we are not to brag about it, and we're not to whine about it. They're both very tempting. And often they're the same thing, really. Like, I'm so hungry, or I would so love that cheesecake. But oh, I'm fasting. That's really whining and bragging all rolled into one, really. I'm doing it for attention. We're not to do those things, but to talk about it in a genuine desire to learn, to draw near to God, to urge one another on, to have some accountability, absolutely. Let's break the silence. Especially this is an area we don't really know much about. Let's talk about it. Let's actually teach and instruct one another and urge one another on. Maybe you'd be more likely to fast if you know other people are going to do it with you. And, and that kind of conversation is totally edifying and great and draws us to God. Maybe you want to ask somebody to pray with you or pray for you. Like, I'm going to fast, but I don't really know if I have the strength to do this. Could you fast? Could you pray for me? I mean, that, that's, that's humility. That's not bragging. That's not doing it for show. You know when you're doing it for show. And God knows too. But there is a, a sincere way to talk about it in a way that edifies us and urges us on. It would encourage us to open up that conversation. And we're having that conversation now. So I, I've just dropped so much on you about fasting. I'm going to stop short of calling us to fast in any collective way as a church, although we are about to undergo a massive transition. 
a huge thing where we move into a new space, a new neighborhood, and I really think that we want God to do what only God can do in that space and not just what we can do. It could be a good time to fast, but I do want us to take some time to think individually for a bit, and I will ask the band to come on back, and um, we'll close with some worship, which I think is great that we're having merengue worship today, because this is not to be somber. Jesus says, when you fast, don't be somber about it, okay? It's serious, sure, it's uncomfortable, but I want us to say yes to Jesus with joy. And if he's calling you or leading you to fast in any way, it's time to put your dancing shoes on because he is a good God with a good invitation drawing you to life and wanting you to know him better and see him at work in and around you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to really ponder what you're saying to us, Lord. I've said a lot, but we only really want to hear what you're saying right now, what you have to say. Lord, I pray that you would invite us into what you have next, to a next step. I know that you are calling some people here, you're inviting some people here to fast, maybe inviting some people to just try it. There are some here who don't even know if they believe in you or not, but this could be a good way to try, to, to fast and seek you in that way. But there are some here, though, Lord, I know you are calling to fast in a really committed, concerted way to make it a larger part of our lives and to commit to it. And I pray, Lord, you would just give us the strength to do that, the resolve, the will. Lord, we don't have what it takes to fast. And in many ways, that's the point. But I pray you would give us joyful invitations to lay aside things that we cling to, to lay aside our comforts and to seek you and to do it with joy. Lord, would you take away any shame, any comparison, any guilt or obligation that might come along with this. Those are not of you. Give us an invitation to you with joy. And and for all of us, for any of us, whatever role fasting has to play in it, Lord, would you make us more humble? Would you help us to surrender our control over our lives to you? Would you teach us your heart, show us your heart for the world, for the city? Help us to grieve with you when it's appropriate. Lord, make us generous, overflowing people, share our resources at cost. And Father, just build into us a desire for you and for your kingdom. Fasting or no fasting, you want all of these things for us, Lord. Would you make them so that we could know you, serve you, and love you better. In Jesus' name, amen.